Well, hey friends, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. Well, today we're continuing our series that we've been in for a little while called The Church, and we're gonna be unpacking spiritual gifts and what they mean for the church and for you today. Friends, thank you so much for joining today. And you know, I've had the privilege over my life of being able to travel, uh, travel around the world, uh, see different places. I've been to um, a couple of different countries and continents, and it's always been such an incredible experience. And you know, one of the ways I think that God's church is at its best is when there is diversity amongst unity. And I've seen that as I've traveled in uh, various countries and. You know, one of the things that I always try to do when I'm in a, a different country is to go to church, whether that's attending a service or whether that's taking a tour through a church. And one of the things that I find so beautiful in a lot of older churches uh, that have been built like centuries and centuries ago um, is the beautiful architecture. Like you could spend your whole life in there seeing the intricacies and the details, um, but the architecture that I find most beautiful in churches are actually the stained glass windows. They're this like incredible mosaic that are these individual pieces of glass and color um, that are intricate and uh, beautiful in and of themselves, that they're in different shapes and sizes. And they make up this incredibly vibrant, bright hole of a picture where the light filters through, where it kind of casts it onto the ground. Um, and it's this beautiful, vibrant display that you get to see that it's intricate and yet is part of a beautiful, uh, larger whole. And I think that this picture of a stained glass window is such a beautiful symbol of the church that gather together when the church is together, that we have, um, incredible meaning, importance, um, like value as an individual. But I think when we are gathered together, that we have the most vibrant expression of like these diverse parts as a whole where yes, you have importance, you are that piece and shape and size, but when we make up a whole, we see a beautiful picture of diversity amongst unity. And so today, as we continue our series on the church, we're gonna gather around the mosaic of spiritual gifts. It's kind of like this list, this, this part of the church that uh, is vibrant, is diverse, and yet is unified. Because when operating, uh, for us as individuals and our spiritual gifts in the whole of the community, I think it brings a beautiful picture of the, diver the, the diversity amongst unity to the way that we serve people around us. I think it's actually this, this incredibly tangible, colorful expression of God's grace to his people through a tangible expression to those around us. And so we're gonna be jumping into spiritual gifts today. And perhaps the person who has taught the most on spiritual gifts in the scriptures is the Apostle Paul. Uh, and he writes most of his uh, teachings on that in uh, his letter to churches um, that we find in the New Testament. And much of Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts uh, actually happened primarily in the first letter to the Corinthians. And the Corinthian church, to just give a little bit of like context and history, was a bustling, growing, and yet profoundly dysfunctional church. They were like profoundly dysfunctional and kind of in trouble. And so Paul, as the apostle of that church, as the one who oversaw it, who planted it, uh, who was part of like starting it there, he writes them a letter. 
And he kind of brings a little bit of encouragement and also correction uh, to some of the unhealthy things that had pervaded the church, some culture from the outside that was beginning to pervade the church, particularly in the way that kind of spiritual things were expressed in the church. And to be honest, the culture of Corinth frankly mimics our culture today in a lot of ways, but particularly uh, right now, the Corinthian church was kind of wooed by spirituality while already beginning to, diff to, to kind of drift from Christianity. And as they did that, it created and pervaded kind of all parts of the church. Um, that there was this culture that was created um, in the church that was beginning to cause it to drift away from Christianity. And one of the, ex uh, the obsessions of Corinth as a city, but particularly also in the church, was wisdom and knowledge. That, that this was kind of a currency um, of power, of importance, of um, your kind of standing in culture. And so there was this obsession with wisdom and knowledge. And part of that expression of wisdom and knowledge was kind of this vague demonstrative spirituality um, that was kind of the pinnacle of all of that. And this kind of vague spirituality that wasn't really rooted or grounded anywhere was beginning to pervert the expression of spiritual gifts in the church. So these acts of service and of uh, God moving through his people, it was beginning to pervert people's understanding. And what it was doing was causing a sense of division, it was causing a sense of disunity uh, amongst believers, it was causing a sense of um, beginning to stray from the truth of what scripture actually says. Now, the teaching about spiritual gifts is vast, it's expansive, uh, but our series is on the church. We've already talked about that. And so today, we're gonna, gonna keep constrained to that. So I wish I could say everything there is about spiritual gifts, but we would be here for a long time. So we're gonna talk about spiritual gifts as they are expressed in the gathering of faith community in the church. Um, and Paul makes it very clear in his teaching that spiritual gifts function in the life of a believer to serve Jesus Christ crucified, the word, and the community. And this is kind of our main thing today. It's gonna to be our guiding points. And so if you take notes, even at home, whether that's on your phone or like a real actual notebook, I want you to write that down. That spiritual gifts function in the life of a believer to serve Jesus Christ crucified, the word, and community. And so it's through these three filters that we're gonna kind of jump into our scriptures today. Uh, it's gonna be one of those like old school three-point sermons. Um, but before we jump into God's word, let's quickly pray. Well, God, we thank you um, that you give us uh, gifts, that you have given each of us a gift uh, by your spirit to be able to serve others, to serve you, to serve your church. Uh, God, what an incredible gift that you would give that we can partner with you. Um, and we know, God, that these gifts mean nothing except that you gave us that first incredible gift of grace of dying on the cross, of resurrecting, of, of regenerating us to new life so that we can walk in partnership with you as well. And so, God, I pray that as we open your scripture today, that your spirit of truth would speak to us, that my voice would quiet so that you can speak so clearly to our hearts and our ears and our minds today. We love you, God, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's jump into that first one. Spiritual gifts serve Jesus Christ crucified. We're going to be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. This is what it says. It says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliant brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. So you see this beautiful uh, kind of declaration to the Corinthians by Paul, and he talks about some things in here that I think are really important. Um, in kind of the, the overall book of Corinthians, Paul contrasts some things. He contrasts uh, people who are spiritual and do spiritual things, but that aren't rooted and grounded or led by the Holy Spirit. And then those who are spiritual people who are led by the Spirit of Truth. And he uses kind of two words for spiritual gifts and spiritual people in his writing, pneumatica and charismata. And when you kind of understand the roots and origin of these words, you kind of understand why Paul is making this distinction. He uses one um, to kind of expose what culture had pervaded the church, and then he uses the other to, to proclaim what the truth actually is. And so the first one, pneumatica, is a borrowed word from secular culture. And it's really anything that's considered spiritual without much real definition. It's not rooted anywhere. It's not grounded anywhere. Um, and it's that word, pneumatica, people who are spiritual, that Paul is speaking to, that, that pervasive attitude that Paul is speaking against to the Corinthian church. That this act of being kind of spiritual, um, but not in a way that's being grounded or rooted anywhere. It kind of draws from whatever we feel is, is right and true rather than having at its source uh, rooted in truth. So with those who are operating in pneumatica spiritual gifts, Paul is saying here that this type of spirituality, it elevates and idolizes self. That it's my source of wisdom, my source of knowledge, my source of spirituality, uh, that whatever I determine that to be, I am the one that is high above and the source of wisdom and knowledge and guidance. Um, and we see that as Paul kind of dismantles some of this conversation, that it is empty that it has an incredible limitation because we are limited as humans. And yet this was kind of a, a currency of power in, in the city of Corinth, this spirituality, this pneumatica spirituality. And so we see that this has pervaded the church, that this was beginning to enter into the church. And so there was this expression of idolizing and elevating self rather than being rooted anywhere else. And so this is kind of the spiritual people that Paul is beginning to correct. But Paul then contrasts his teaching on spiritual gifts by using his characteristic term. It's a very like Pauline term, we call it. And he uses the word charismata for those who are spiritual people as well. And at the root of this word, charis, comes from the, is the word grace in the ancient Greek. It literally means, charismata literally means like grace things or grace endowments. And so this is what Paul is trying to reveal as the truth of where we find our source of spirituality, of spiritual gifts, of being spiritual people. Um, there's a sense that true spiritual gifts and true spiritual people are rooted not in themselves, not in their power, not in their demonstrative wisdom or what they feel in that moment is right, but it's actually rooted in the grace of God. That it's rooted in his grace towards us and that it's a gift from God to us. And so expressing spiritual gifts isn't about us. It's not about us at all. It's not about what we can drum up in our wisdom or our knowledge, but it's actually about expressing the grace of Jesus Christ crucified and nothing else. That like Paul said, we decide to know nothing 
except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That needs to be the source of where we find that grace in our spiritual gifts. And in fact, uh, we talk about these being spiritual gifts. And so that is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to each one of us. John 15 verse 26 says, these are Jesus's words. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. And then later in John 16, 14, it says, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Now, David Guzik comments on these two passages really well. He says this, he says, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to promote himself or any man, but to glorify and represent Jesus. We can therefore trust that the true ministry of the Holy Spirit will be according to the nature of Jesus. And so we see here that the, that spiritual gifts are a grace from God to us and for others. That they're not a grace from God to us and for us, but they're a grace of God to us and for others. You know, we talked last week in, in a message, Pastor Lucas talked about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And expressing our spiritual gifts is an avenue of worship because it reveals Jesus to others. It has this sense of spirit moving and spirit action, but it also has this, this in need and demand that it also is that of truth, that it reveals Jesus to others. And so if spiritual gifts are not about us, and if they're not from us, then in our spiritual gifts of serving or a word of prophecy, a word of knowledge or wisdom, um, speaking in tongues, whatever that spiritual gift will be, it needs to, at its source, prop up and serve Jesus Christ, him crucified, above all else. That if that is the impetus in our hearts, that that's what the expression of our spiritual gifts must be, is elevating and lifting up, worshiping Jesus Christ crucified in his place, seated at the, the, the throne. Because that is actually the greatest gift that we have ever received. That the greatest gift of grace is not the spiritual gifts that we have, but it's the gifts of Jesus dying on the cross, of resurrecting and regenerating us to new life. And so any expression of spiritual gifts must speak to that person, to that grace, to Jesus Christ crucified. And so spiritual gifts must have at their heart and at our heart the same attitude as John the Baptist in John 3.30, where he says, he must increase and I must decrease. You know, as we look at these two words that Paul used, I think it's much easier and much more um, enticing to be a person who's a pneumatica person, a spiritual person without being rooted anywhere. Because I think that demonstrative type of spirituality, it adds power, it adds reputation, it probably will have a following for a moment, it brings personal benefit. But I think it is much harder to be a person who expresses charismata spiritual gifts, to be that person who's rooted in God's grace, because it means very much the opposite. It means that we end up decreasing so that Jesus can be elevated in our service and our gifts. But I think that when we do so, when we choose to walk as our spiritual gifts in the grace of God and not based on our knowledge, we see, like Paul has said, the demonstration of the power of God that inspires others to faith in him. And that really is the profound outcome of spiritual gifts, that as we walk in those, it leads others to either have uh, Jesus Christ crucified be revealed to them for the very first time by the Spirit, 
or by a revelation of the Spirit for those of us who already know Jesus to be more fully devoted followers of him, looking more and more like Jesus each day. That is the true incredible expression is that people see in a tangible way the grace of God in action through our spiritual gifts. And at the heart of everything we do, our service with our spiritual gifts is so that others can know Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so we see that our spiritual gifts at their very foundation need to serve Jesus Christ crucified, but they also need to serve the word. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus is cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So we see that the expression of spiritual gifts serve Jesus Christ crucified as he is actually the head of our church. Um, but spiritual gifts also serve the word because scripture is the plumb line for our lives. A plumb line was something that they dropped so that a wall could be uh, set straight so that all of the other parts of the building would also be straight. And so scripture is the plumb line for our lives. It is the objective capital T truth that we as believers in Jesus come under the authority of. And so in that understanding, the word is also the plumb line for the proper and right expression of spiritual gifts. This is what Paul is saying in these verses, that your past and our culture and maybe some of the superstitions or beliefs uh, about spirituality that we had before we knew Jesus actually don't prepare us for an accurate understanding of spiritual gifts. And, you know, as I look upon our culture, I think this is especially true for us today. You know, our culture says, speak your truth. You know, I'm going to speak my truth. I felt this need to speak my truth. And while this statement perhaps feels empowering in the moment, I think it's a categorical misunderstanding of what truth actually is. Because when my truth conflicts with your truth, what do we do with that? You know, how do we respond to that? There's no opportunity for unity in that moment. And the Holy Spirit is also called the spirit of truth. And it is this spirit that we also minister to one another with our spiritual gifts. You know, I think it can be easy to try and have uh, the word serve our spiritual gifts so that we have this gift that we operate in and we try and like force scripture to fit it rather than having the expression of that come out of a knowledge of the truth. And this passage makes it clear that what we discern as truth will ultimately determine how we live our lives and how we serve others. And I think our natural proclivity as humans that are tainted by sin, that are broken, it's to be led astray by other things that capture our gaze. And I wonder if this attitude of speaking my truth has also pervaded into the expression of our spiritual gifts. Because I've seen in my life and in other friends' lives um, that people under the guise of spiritual gifts say things in the name of Jesus without being surrendered to the truth and person of Jesus. And every time that I've seen that happen, it may feel great in that moment, but in the end, it only adds burden to their lives rather than relieving burden. But spiritual gifts as they, uh, operating as they should actually bring kind of a three-dimensional revelation of scripture, that it reveals truth that satisfies our body, our mind, our emotion, our spirit, and also time. And what I mean by time is that 
Spiritual gifts, whether in action or word, are proclaiming the scriptures that were written thousands of years ago by the Spirit in a relevant, timely way that is just as applicable to right now as it was when it was written. And I believe that that is truly transformative. It's this moment of feeling like that word is exactly for me, and it is in its time, that this scripture that is written in a book can be taken off the page and have this three-dimensional aspect for our lives that is timely and satisfying and filling and encouraging. And so spiritual gifts serve the word because they don't add anything to it. Because by adding anything to scripture, we are creating a false representation of truth. And so we see that spiritual gifts serve the word. And so our spiritual gifts, if they are true and in the right heart, will serve by revealing scripture, not adding to it or even trying to fit scripture into it. And so this is the power of, of our spiritual gifts serving the word, that they reveal a truth to our hearts and our minds that is transformative um, for our minds and our hearts that are so great at forgetting, that are so great at being led astray by other things like our emotions, which are good indicators, but they're not good uh, determiners, by being led astray by, by something that sounds really great, but isn't rooted in scripture at all. And so this is the power of spiritual gifts is that they bring this three-dimensional vision of scripture to our lives. So spiritual gifts serve the word and they also serve community. And so we've built this foundation. We've, we've built this foundation of spiritual gifts that need to be revealing Jesus, need to be serving the word. Um, and we need to build this foundation because if we don't, everything else that we've learned about spiritual gifts or will learn about spiritual gifts doesn't actually even matter. So having a strong foundation allows us to build something meaningful that has staying power. And so we're gonna jump into now some of the more meaty and practical parts about spiritual gifts as revealed in the word. So we're gonna continue in 1 Corinthians 12 and in verses four to 11. It says this, now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the spirit, to another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. Now, this list here, you know, we see lots. We see wisdom, serving, knowledge, healing, miracles, prophecy, like all these things. This is actually by no means even an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts that Paul gives. There are other places that we find a list of spiritual gifts. Um, some ones just rattle off to you are 1 Corinthians 12 that we just read, uh, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and then 1 Peter 4 as well. And there are other parts of scripture that show spiritual gifts too. But for today, I want to kind of quickly overview um, each spiritual gifts definition that's found in 1 Corinthians 12 and one that's found in 1 Peter 4.9. And I'm not going to go through ones that we find in other places because I, as we are talking about the church, these ones are uh, written to a church. And so I think that they're really practical for how we express spiritual gifts in church. So the first one is a word of wisdom. And a word of wisdom is essentially a word of practical application of God's truth to a community, right? Again, they serve the word. This gift may occur in, text, in context of preaching or personal counseling and of prayer. So that is a word of wisdom. 
We have a word of knowledge. Uh, where the word of wisdom is more application-based, the word of knowledge is kind of more revelatory. Uh, it's almost, it's, it kind of has a sense of a direct revelation of some aspect of God's knowledge. And this is often seen in the context of prayer. Um, knowledge, now this is, uh, comes out of the Strong's Concordance, a definition of, of words in the Bible. Uh, it says this, it says, knowledge is only as accurate or reliable as the relationship that it derives from. And I think that's a great uh, reality to know is that um, the spiritual gift of knowledge is something that is almost like God mind implanting something in ours that still is directly related to scripture that still aligns with that. The next one we have is faith. Now this is a weird one because all of us, if we're believers in Jesus, walk in faith and, and have faith. Uh, but this is kind of a, a different kind of expression of faith. It's a God birth conviction or assurance that God will reveal himself in a powerful way or will do something that we feel urged that he will do. And this is perhaps and often in an answer to prayer. And so it's this like supernatural uh, increasing of belief and faith that God, God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Um, and so we all have faith, but there's a spiritual gift of faith as well. The next one is gifts of healing. And these gifts are the physical, uh, psychological, emotional, and relational healing that usually is in a response to prayer. Um, and so there are times where other people will pray for you and that healing happens. Sometimes you pray for yourself and that does. Um, and so that's the spiritual gift of healing. The next one is the working of miracles. Now, sometimes healings are referred to as miracles and that's true, but in this particular context, Paul probably had miracles of nature um, and the deliverance of evil spirits in mind. And so there's this working of miracles that's of course in our bodies, but also in our world um, and in a spiritual way as well. The next one is prophecy and, and probably the, like the simplest definition of, of prophecy for us today is that of inspired speech. So prophecy can happen in the delivery of a sermon. It can happen in prayer. Uh, this expression of kind of an inner sensing of God's direction. Um, prophecy was what might best be called a sense of immediacy that is directly from the presence of God. And so sometimes somebody will come up uh, in a service and with our pastoral staff, give a word of prophecy that's this like sense of urgency and immediacy of, of what God is saying. And its purpose is to provide the body of Christ building up, encouragement, and consolation. And those three words come from 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3. Now, just to make a distinction, prophecy in our time is not adding to scripture, that there's no adding to the word of God, but is instead this inspiring and urgency of God's people to live as scripture says in a particular way for a particular time. So prophecy isn't adding to scripture, but it's bringing a sense of immediacy and urgency to a piece of truth that, that God's people should walk in. The next one is discerning of spirits. And this gift might be best be seen as, as God's safeguard against error. So he inspires this gift with somebody to kind of have that like Holy Spirit nudge that just something is maybe not quite right. Um, it's often seen in conjunction with prophecy, uh, giving some within the community of believers the ability to differentiate between a true prophetic message from God and falsehood. And then in a, an additional way, it's also demonstrated in encounters with the demonic. So the discerning of if something is uh, demonic in nature. The next one is kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. So those are actually two separate ones, but they pair together. 
So this pair of gifts is where an individual is prompted by God to give a message in a language with they, which they have not learned. And then either the individual or another in the church gives a subsequent interpretation of that tongue. In their effect, a message in an unknown tongue and its interpretation have an effect on the congregation parallel to that of prophecy. So it's parallel to that of prophecy in that it, it urges the congregation to live in, in light of Jesus's truth, to encourage or build up or um, exhort them to a specific type of action. And so that's kind of what this, the gift of tongues and the interpretation of that is. And this one is found in 1 Peter 4.9, uh, but I think it's important for the community of faith. And that one is hospitality. So the Greek word uh, for this, for hospitality, is xenophileo, or literally a familial love for an outsider. And so it's this beautiful picture of not just like the permission of an outsider to exist in a place, but it's a love for that person of wanting to bring them in. So hospitality um, is more about bringing people outside into the fold of Jesus's family and community rather than it is just kind of like having your friends over for coffee or being a good host. That's certainly part of it, but in the biblical sense, hospitality is bringing those on the fringe into the fold so that they can be part of community and belonging and feel a sense of integration with God's people. So each believer has at least one spiritual gift um, that at your moment of salvation, the spirit inspires you with a gift. So you have at least one. And now one is not more important than the other. This was a big tripping point for the Corinthian church as they were elevating kind of uh, the, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues and prophecy and all these ones. They were elevating those under other ones and kind of were creating these um, like cast within the church of those who were like extra spiritual and those who were like kind of less spiritual. Um, but all are, are important. And in fact, we actually need all of them because when all of them are functioning, we see God's best for his church. Again, it's that picture of diversity. This is a mosaic that is shown when we walk in everybody expressing their spiritual gifts together. That the individual is of course important. That the way that God has created you and designed you and the gifts he has given you is important. But when joined together with the community of faith, it serves to bring vibrancy, depth, and strength to the body of believers. And notice in the passage that we read how many times Paul says in some matter, like the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God, the same spirit who gave it to you, the same one. He says it's like over and over and over in that passage. And I think it's for a reason. I think it's because spiritual gifts serve the community by knitting it together in unity amongst diversity. That while there's diversity in the gifts that we have, it's all from the same spirit. And so it all can bring unity to God's people. But friends, there are many spiritual gifts that are not publicly demonstrative. Ones like serving or prayer, mercy, um, administration, and those ones that are not as visible or demonstrative are just as impactful and needed as any other. And, and there's maybe somebody today who's feeling kind of like their gifts are not as important as others, but they're just as impactful, they're just as needed as any others. And I think sometimes we can miss out on the spirit moving in church because it's not done in ways that are seen. You know, someone quietly, humbly serving someone without anybody seeing is the spirit powerfully moving, is a powerful uh, demonstration of, of God and his grace to his people. 
Um, and so I think that we sometimes can miss out on those moments. And, and part of it is because they're not seen. And I think there's often criticism that can come particularly with sometimes uh, more charismatic churches that without the more public demonstrative gifts, that the spirit is somehow being stifled or isn't moving or that, you know, there's less of. Um, but David Guzik provides a really great comment on this. He says, the Holy Spirit is always present in and amongst Christians. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, he may abide with you forever, which is found in John 14, 16. However, at some times, the Spirit's presence is more apparent than at other times. There are times where he may choose to manifest himself, that is, to make himself apparent. However, we should never think that the Holy Spirit is more present when he is manifested through the gifts. The Holy Spirit is always present with believers. You know, friends, it can be really easy to be focused on the more corporate and, and public spiritual gifts in church and see that as a measure of the Spirit's moving or, or pleasure with his church. But I think to do that actually really misses out on the Spirit manifesting himself in powerful ways through things that are unseen, unsexy, and underappreciated. Craig Rochelle says, the size of your assignment never determines the significance of your impact. And I think that is true with those spiritual gifts is that whether you have one or more, whether it's one that's like publicly demonstrative or not, that that does not determine the significance of your impact. But by surrendering it to Jesus and operating in his way, that it can make impact that is greater than you could ever hope or imagine. And so friends, the spirit is moving in the church. The spirit is moving in this church here at Evangel if we have eyes to see him moving. So you have a gift. Yes, each of you have a gift. And that means that you are a gift to the church. But as we walk out our spiritual gifts here, surrender to Jesus and his word, it means that we must do it, like we've said already, in the way that he intended for his community. You know, it's exciting to talk about spiritual gifts, the vibrancy, the excitement, the individuality, the incredible like expression of, of power, to, me, to see those more tangible way that the spirit moves. But the, the part that we maybe often shy away from or that seems less enticing is what happens two chapters after in 1 Corinthians 14, um, which is called, like they title it, which is not divinely inspired, but the order of worship. And so we're gonna read it in, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26 to 33. It says, what then brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, there are, only to be, there are to be only two, or at the most three, each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets since God is not a God of disorder, but of, of peace. So I think this is often where we kind of get tripped up when it comes to spiritual gifts, because when we read this on paper, doesn't it feel like control? Like, doesn't it feel like maybe this arbitrary imposition from Paul to the Corinthian church when it comes to expressing this? And in a flat reading of the text, it really can feel like control. And I think when it comes to the Spirit's role in the church, we have sometimes tended toward overemphasizing the organic part of the Spirit's role in the church, at the expense of the organizational part of the Spirit's role in the church. But here we see that the Spirit is part of and involved in both the organism and the organization of the church. 
And I believe this framework for expressing spiritual gifts in community is actually prescriptive for the Corinthian church and is prescriptive for all other churches as well. And so the reason for that is found in the last verse, verse 33. For God is not a God of disorder, other tra translations will say chaos, but of peace. You know, the orderliness of our worship was of chief, chief concern to Paul, not because he wanted to extend a measure of control over the gathering, but because he wanted our expression of worship, of expressing those gifts to be unified in its declaration to the world. Because that unified declaration is one that brings peace to the community of faith and an understandable and intelligible witness to those who are exploring faith. So we're going to break this passage into its parts to see how we do this here. Because are we, we do want our witness of our spiritual gifts to be submitted to Jesus and his word, of which this is a part. So to only follow some parts of scripture means that we have created God in our own image and with our own preferences. And so we need to be obedient to his word here too. So first off, Paul gives a key to discerning spiritual gifts. They're to be done for building up the community. The moving of the spirit in community is not meant to be a manic free-for-all. We see that in this passage, that it's not meant to be this crazy thing, but it has guidelines of which it should be done so that the truth that's being expressed can flourish in our lives. So when it comes to speaking in tongues, two or three are to speak in turn with interpretation. And this interpretation could be from somebody else in the congregation that the spirit inspires, or if not, the person who gave that initial word of tongues can also bring that interpretation. Now, if after there's a time of discerning and waiting on the spirit, if there's no interpretation, uh, then Paul does advise a speaker to keep silent and speak to God. And that seems a little bit harsh, but what he means is that uh, this speaking in tongues in that context should be exercised in more of a personal prayer language with God rather than a message to the, the believers in the room. When it comes to words of prophecy, uh, again, they're to speak in turn, and then the others are to evaluate and judge. And what this means is we, that, that we discern as a body and see if what was said magnifies Jesus and aligns with his word. Um, and this is something that we all do together because we're all active participators in the preaching of God's word. And is also called, we're also called to test the spirit. And, and that can mean both the content, like we just said, and also the spirit of the person. Now we do that with grace and with mercy and with kindness, um, because some people can say a lot of spiritual things that sound right, that seem good, without having the right spirit in which they deliver it. That, that doesn't have at the heart the right motive. You know, chapter 13, which unfortunately we had to skip over, is all about the motivation of spiritual gifts, and that is love. Read that passage, it will, it will change how you view spiritual gifts. But if it's not done with this heart of love for his people, then the spirit of that prophecy is not for the congregation. You know, we often say at Evangel that we are all participators uh, in the active preaching of God's word, and so part of that is discerning what is said, because we are each accountable to each other in community. And then finally, there's the encouragement from Paul that no one should monopolize the gathering, but all should learn together in order. So we can see this as control. We can see this prescription as Paul is stifling the spirit, or we can choose to see this as a covering. What do I mean by that? Is to have a covering of people around you to discern alongside you, to stand with you as you step, in, step out in faith, to walking in unity with the spirit together, um, and, and that covering is incredibly important because we do need to give account to Jesus of all that we have done in this life. And so that covering can happen as we discern together. So this is kind of how we do this at Evangel. Uh, if you're sensing by the spirit that you have a word for the congregation, we 
want you to operate in your spiritual gifts. And so please come talk to a pastoral staff member. Um, tap us on the shoulder in the service and we will discern with you of when and where and if to share and then kind of take the next steps on, on walking that out. And we do that again, not to control, but to discern with you, to walk with you, to step out in faith with you and support you in that. Um, and we know that anytime we operate in our spiritual gifts is a step of faith. And so we want to walk in that together with you. We want to maintain the peace that Paul says that operating, operating spiritual gifts does. And so spiritual gifts serve the community because it encourages, edifies, and it calls us to deeper moments of faith. And so as we journey together, let's be people who are gracious to one another. As we step out in our spiritual gifts, that sometimes people are going to get it wrong, that they're going to say something that maybe doesn't hit. And so let's be gracious and kind and, and very uh, open to extending that grace um, as we walk together in kind of working this out for ourselves. Because the reality is the world doesn't need any more wisdom gurus. They don't need any more influencers. We don't need experts in the field. Friends, our world, our church, needs a powerful and fresh revelation of the spirit through the church operating as a body of Christ and his gifts. The world doesn't need more plausible words of wisdom, but they need demonstrations of the spirit and of power so that their faith cannot rest in the wisdom of men, but so that it rests in the power of God. And so as together we join as that mosaic, let's be a shining and bright representation of Jesus through operating and serving the spiritual gifts. Friends, let's pray together. God, we thank you that you've given us a gift. God, we thank you that you don't just allow us to sit and participate and experience church, that you uh, have at your heart us to participate with you and your spirit in encouraging and edifying and, and building each other up. And so God, as we walk in those spiritual gifts, as we learn about what they are, God, I pray that you would bring a fresh revelation to each person. God, I pray that your spirit would be speaking to and moving and inspiring your people so that we can continue to walk in devotion and worship and obedience to you. God, we thank you that you have given us those gifts. We pray these, these things all in your name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us and I hope you have a great day.